This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yelton, we have a podcast. Diving, diving deep. Diving deep into all things Texas, both on and off the field. Here's Sean Pendergast and Pro Football Hall of Famer, the General, Sean McClain. Welcome, welcome to Utopia. Hey, everybody, what's happening? A very, very happy midweek to everybody out there who downloads, shares, and subscribes to this podcast, the Utopia Football Podcast. I am Sean Pendergast, one half of Payne and Pendergast in the mornings on Sports Radio 610. Joined as always, by my co-host, my friend, the Hall of Famer, John McClain, who is also our uh, senior Texans columnist for SportsRadio610.com and GalleriesSports.com as well. And this is a mailbag episode of the Utopia Football Podcast. John, how are you doing today, man? Sean, I'm doing great. It's I, I told somebody, I, I told our boss, Parker Hillis, when I saw him uh, before I did In the Loop, I said, going from the Astros, and writing columns about them, and then going to the Texans, the worst team in the league, it's like going for me, like uh, eating a filet mignon and going to Brussels sprouts. <laughs> That's a great analogy, John, because Brussels sprouts not only are terrible, but they stink. They smell. I agree, oh. 100%. Like farts, John. They smell like farts. And my wife loves Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and she heats them up. And, oh. you know, we, we don't have a big place. We got a nice place, but it's not a big place. So Brussels sprouts smell. We Someday, John, we need to power rank the worst microwave smells. Because I think Brussels sprouts is like, uh, that's the Heisman Trophy winner right there, I think. Well, I don't feel sorry for you. Because all you got to do is open your doors and go out on one of your two balconies. <laughs> To get away from the microwave smell. Fair enough. <laughs> I saw our producer, afternoon producer, Tyler Milner, who lives the greatest life. He and his wife, Megan, talking about how much they like living on the water. And I responded, you're almost as bad as at Sean Pendergast <laughs> bragging about his media wall. John, I just want people to see what I'm watching and see if they can commune over that. <laughs> John, it's about fellowship. It's not about being braggadocious. I promise you. Someday I'm going to finally get a big screen TV. It'll probably be Maryland, not here. But when I do, I'm putting that baby out. Right. And I'm going to show the background, which is the Chesapeake Bay. And I'm yes. John, that's that's not even a proportional response. You're going to live on the water and have a big screen. I have a balcony where I look down onto the street. You win. You win, John. Oh, good stuff. All right, little John, let's get into it. We got a lot of questions people uh, want answers to with the Texans team. As you can imagine, 
Well, I, I don't, you don't even need to guess who a lot of them are centered around. There's the, the main characters of this horrible docudrama we've got going on with the Texans are pretty well chronicled here. Um, but we'll get into all these questions. There's some good ones in here. If, first off the top, if you want to email a question, you now have a full week to do it. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. Best time to do it is right after games are over because that's when things are fresh in your head. But put it in your contacts. Put the Utopia uh, football podcast in your contacts. H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com. That's our email address. Of course, you can hit John and I on Twitter as well, at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. And I'm at Sean T. Pendergast. You can leave questions there if you like as well. All right, John, you ready to get to it? I'm ready. All right, we may as well start with a coaching question here. Um, Alfredo from Spring gets us started here in the mailbag. Hey, guys, what's up? Big fan of the show. My question to you is, do you think that Nick Casario will make Lovey Smith hire a defensive coordinator next season? And also, what coaching changes need to happen in order for the Texans to succeed? So two questions there, John. Let's start with the first one. Lovey Smith right now is the head coach and the defensive coordinator. Do you think that the Texans – Either Lovey of his own volition or Nick Casario saying we got to make a change. Do you think Lovey is going to be forced to hire a defensive coordinator? I think Lovey's plan all along was to have a defensive coordinator in the second season. So I don't think they'll have to make him do anything. And I think Pep Hamilton will be fired and they'll use that top draft pick on a quarterback. And it better be somebody who has a proven track record with quarterbacks and can call plays and has an offense that uh, is good from the get-go. You know, it's amazing to me that the Texans, Pep Hamilton and Davis Mills will be awful in the first half like they were in Sunday's loss to the Giants, and I'm ready to fire Hamilton and put Kyle Allen in, and then they come back and total, totally change their strategy. They throw the ball down the field, and yes, Mills had a dumb throw into double coverage in the end zone, but you keep thinking – why can't he do what he did last year? I went back again for a column I have today up on gallerysports.com, looking at Mills over the last five games, nine touchdowns, two interceptions, ratings of at least 100 against two good teams, the Titans and the Chargers, and this year he hadn't come close to either. He's been not an interception machine, but he's got nine. I think Josh Allen leads the league with 10. So I keep thinking they've got to have a coordinator who has called plays in the NFL and a track record. Because the last time Pat Hamilton did it, uh, he was fired in the middle of the 2015 season by the Colts when he had Andrew Luck. And then uh, and then I think Lovey will hire a defensive coach who's a 4-3 coach. And uh tell you, I'd love to see him hire, and I'm sure they won't do it. Uh, because he plays a 3-4. Vic Fangio has been here once mm-hmm. and is one of the all-time great defensive coordinators. Yeah, I guess that would be the big question is is if they hire a defensive coordinator, if it's just somebody who's going to come in and run lovey stuff, does it does it really matter? You know, like I that, like when I hear new defensive coordinator, I want to see this defense do some new things and do some different things. I'm tired of watching Derek Stingley play in zone and play with big cushions. You drafted him third for a reason. You know, I, I, maybe it's a four, three, maybe it's a three, four. And and most people who follow the game say it doesn't, it's not as easy these days to say that a defense is one or the other because defenses are so multiple nowadays. I just hope it's somebody who plays a more watchable version of defense. The same way I hope that whoever comes in and replaces Pep Hamilton, because I agree with you, he won't be here next year. 
plays a more watchable version of offense. We watched Davis Mills throw the ball down the field in his last five games of the season last year, John. Like, they haven't been attacking downfield at all this year. So if, if I hadn't seen those last five games last year, I'd say, well, Davis Mills is not capable of pushing the ball down the field, get rid of him. Um, but we saw him. He Not only did he do it last year, he did it well. His, his passer rating, throwing the ball down the field, was one of the best in football. Granted, with a smaller sample size than some of the other ones who were really good at it, but still... When he had the opportunity to do it, he did it well. That's why, like, if I'm assigning blame, I mean, Mills is definitely partially to blame. He's the one that's out there making these throws. But I just, I've been, I've not been impressed at all with Pep Hamilton, not, not one bit. I, I was hopeful that because he wasn't Tim Kelly and he had a reputation for developing quarterbacks, that this would be, that this would be a, um, an offense that would be a little easier to watch. It's a much harder offense to watch for me. Even with Damian Pierce running the football, it's a harder offense for me to watch than last year. Yeah, they're wasting Pierce. But I'll tell you something, the difference in a 4-3 and a 3-4 mm-hmm. is the personnel. Mm-hmm. They had they, yeah. Romeo Cornell played at 3-4. So did Mike Grable. Uh, so did uh, Anthony uh, Weaver. Weaver. Yep. So now they bring in and say you have to change your linebackers. It's different sizes, different speeds. And they got to be able to drop and run. Where in the three four, they got to be able to rush. Mm-hmm. So they have four three players. So I think that they will play a four three with a new defensive coordinator. But he could play more man. He could blitz. Yeah, more. there's a lot of things that can come out of a four three that they're not getting. And they have they have much more talent on offense than they have on defense right now. And so I understand why they're bad. People, some for some reason, want them to be better. And I guess it's because they have a chance in the fourth quarter of all but one game and they can't close the deal. And one of the reasons I think is because this team just doesn't have much talent. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, next one, John. Harold in Greenway Plaza says, if the Texans draft Bryce Young, do you think he and Pep are a good fit. Young does a lot of stuff off script and Pep is pretty basic. I think we just covered that, but that's an opportunity to maybe get a little more specific with Bryce Young. You know, this is applying a name to the young quarterback, not just bringing in quarterback X, Y, Z. But in general, Bryce Young, from what you've seen, the fit with him and Pep, the fit with what Bryce Young likes to do in general, what would you like to see? I've watched every game CJ Stroud and Bryce Young have played. I've taped them and, um, Right now, uh, Stroud is higher rated. The difference this season is, besides Stroud having better size, he's still got great receivers. He had great receivers last year. Bryce Young does not have great talent at the skill position this year. That's why what he's doing is more impressive to me. Now, I'm told that Bryce Young, as they listed him, I think it's six foot, he's barely 5'10", and they list him heavier than he is. But he's mobile. He's so smart. He's got a good arm. He's accurate. And he can take nothing and make it into something. Davis Mills can't do that. C.J. Stroud, if he can do that, he doesn't have to do it much because of the talent. So, excuse me, I'm hoping that they get Bryce Young and they have a new coach coaching him. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. My biggest fear is – Bryce Young getting drafted and getting dropped into an offense here with the Texans that's as antiquated as the one that we're looking at today, or is you that's know, just not going to happen? That no, I, 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 yeah, no, that's why I'm, I, I hope not. That's what I'm saying. It's my biggest fear. I don't think it's going to happen. I'm with you, but if for some reason it did, that would, that would, uh, that would, that would be a problem. Um, do you want to see the OC, whoever it is, replace Pep Hamilton, be somebody off the Shanahan tree? 
oh, I don't care where he comes just because somebody has been with Shanahan. What if, you know, what if they, uh, uh, like if Lovey gets fired, which I don't think he will, they want to hire D'Amico Ryans. Well, here comes another guy, uh, another defensive coordinator. D'Amico is going to get a job. I want. I don't care where the coach comes from. I just want him to have a track record as a successful play caller. You can go out and get a good quarterback coach. And a guy wouldn't come here, but everybody said he's going to be good at this stuff, is Josh McCown. I think with his son leaving Rusk after this season, he'll come into the NFL as a quarterback coach and see how high he can work his way up. But it's got to be somebody. They let Pep hire all the coaches on offense. So he brought in his buddy uh, to coach quarterbacks. And, of course, coordinators always spend a lot of time coaching them. Bill O'Brien used to coach a lot. How about this package? Bryce Young and his offensive coordinator from uh, Alabama. <laughs> John, uh, the intrigue would be there. You know, there's two there, – there, when it comes to stuff like this, there's two Sean's. There's the Texans fan, Sean, which would be like, hell no. There's radio host, Sean, who is absolutely 100% here <laughs> for a Bill O'Brien return to the building. It would be a fascinating storyline <laughs> to discuss. I just think, John, as well, you brought up D'Amico Ryan's name, so I'll just dovetail off of that, and we'll get to the next question here in a second. I just feel like if the Texans have the first pick in the draft, they – look – if they trot back, if they run it back, if, if it's Davis Mills and Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith, the whatever fan base is left over is gone. They're like, and I think Davis Mills, like you're right, Pep Hamilton is just he's he's collateral damage in all this. He'll be gone. I truly think if this is who Davis Mills is, and they bring him back next year, fans are going to be. I, I don't even know if they're going to be mad. They're just going to be apathetic and just be out on the Texans. There, a lot of them are already skewing in that direction. To me, the recipe is right there. You know, it's hire D'Amico as the head coach, have him bring a Shanahan disciple with him to run the offense. He's got access to plenty of them, having coached for Kyle Shanahan and and draft Bryce Young with the first overall pick. Imagine training camp next year, John, if they do those three things. Imagine the vibe around the building, especially especially with this regime. You know, with Cal, Cal, I think, has done a better job of trying to get the the former players back into the fold. You know, we saw Jonathan Joseph at Lovey's press conference. He's been doing more stuff with the team. Andre Johnson is way back embedded with the football team. Um, you know, I don't know if that matters to D'Amico or not. Like, ultimately, probably having the first pick in the draft and getting to handpick his coaching staff probably means more. But at least there's not the vibe around the building that there was a year ago or even a few months ago with Jack Easterby gone now. It's a more normal bad football team as opposed to a – Circus act, bad football team. But I think you, D'Amico, fill in name of Shanahan, disciple to run the offense, and Bryce Young, and everybody's got hope, John. And that's what we want. We want hope. Only thing that matters is winning. If you got the current regime and they brought back Pep Hamilton and Lovey calling defense again and nobody was excited about him and they started to win, everybody would be happy. I, I don't disagree with that. I still don't think don't that's get not your a winning combo. about Lovey being fired. I don't think he's going to be fired. I think he'll have two coordinators, but he won't be fired. They will not do a one-and-done two years in a row. Did you think this time last year – I get the two-year-in-a-row thing, but just let me ask, did you think this time last year David Culley was going to get fired? Uh, I thought there was a chance because Jack Easterby, I'd been told, had this grand plan to get Josh McCown, but I didn't yeah. think – I thought it was a pipe dream of his – 
that he would never have a chance to pull it off. So is McCown just off the radar now? Like, is he out of our lives? Well, why would you know? Why would he come here when they pull the rug out from under him and his family at the last minute? You know, he's got to be bitter. Mm-hmm. Lovey wanted him on his staff. Lovey had him in Chicago. Made sure to get him in Tampa. Lovey loves the guy, but he wanted to go back to Rusk High School, and his main can do it was Jack Easterby, and of course, Jack is gone. And if he were to call Jack, say, Jack, let me ask you about this team now. What do you think he'd be hearing? Uh, Yeah, probably not great stuff. And you know what? And if Josh McCown is going to use Jack Easterby's opinion as his basis for making a decision, I don't want him here anyways. So there you go. That's his good buddy. Yep, absolutely. All right. Um, (laughs) Garrett in Edo (laughs) says, I want to see Kyle Allen. Why not put him in and assess him? Uh, well, first of <laughs> all, uh, there, when Mills has been awful, like in the first half against the Titans when it was the worst he's played since Buffalo, and uh, I thought they'd put Kyle Allen in, but they won't. And Lovey Smith said Monday, it's because we think Mills gives us our best chance to win. Now, Lovey was here last year. He saw how he played. He went up against him every day in practice, as he does now. And for whatever reason, Mills is making bad decisions, like throwing the ball in the end zone, double coverage Sunday from the 29-yard line. Maybe he's frustrated because he went from the 14 to the 29, but you got to get over that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I agree. In the long term, you know, what are your goals? They're, they're still hoping that Mills will pick up where he left off last year and all of a sudden the light will go off, and I don't think that's going to happen. I think nope. – He's being held back by Hamilton's offense, and then he's making a lot of bad decisions and bad throws. Think of the first quarter. He had two passes that were underthrown, and they didn't drop passes on Sunday, and he had a good productive running game, and it just didn't work. And, you know, we should quit complaining because if they don't, if they don't get the top pick and say they love Bryce Young and he goes to the Raiders, mm-hmm. then people are going to go, oh, why did they win that other game? Yeah. Yeah, I just I can't. I, it's <laughs> Landry made fun of me today on their show because I said I'm not wired to root against my team. He thought I was sounding like a real hardo um, by saying I wasn't wired a certain kind of way. But it's true. Like I'm just that rooting, sitting down, and maybe some of it has to do with I spend nine hours plus the time you and I spend on this podcast on Sunday um, covering this team. So it's there's something about covering a team that's just failing miserably for a whole Sunday that feels very wasted. So I root for them to win. I understand the big picture ramifications of them winning a few games, but it's a character flaw I have, I guess. All right, let's keep Every, it Everybody would like to see them win the rest of their games and get people fired up for next season. I don't know, John. John I think there's a lot of people that are ready to watch them lose the rest of their games and draft a quarterback. I, I, I don't... I don't think I, I don't think that's the case. Now they're one seven and one. If they won the rest of their games, it means they finished the season nine seven and one, which would be incredible. But I think we're you know we're gradually with each week. There's more and more people jumping off of the, you know, jumping off of the. Hey, I'm rooting for them to win. I just I'll I'll root for them to win in week eighteen. It's just how I it's how I view this stuff. All right, Mason Johnson. John emails this question in, and this is an interesting one. And I am definitely curious your thoughts on this. When does Nick Casario start to catch some of the heat that Pep Hamilton and Lovey Smith are catching right now? Well, I don't think it'll be any time this year. I think you want to see what he does next year with 12 draft choices, plus John Metchie the third coming back, and then uh, he'll have some money to spend on free agency. When you take over a total rebuild 
and you get rid of so many players, uh, what would you expect? Yeah, I'm, I'm not blaming Casario for any of this because I understand the task that he was assigned. Well, now just I agree with you. And he took over something that was worse than a total rebuild. Like a, a total rebuild means you're just starting from the ground up. He had to clean up somebody else's mess for over a year. That's how bad Bill O'Brien and Jack Easterby were at running things. So he, he needed to wait a year to get draft capital. He's still waiting for the cap to get cleaned up. That'll be cleaned up once this season is behind us. Um. I will say, you know, if I'm evaluating Nick on anything right now, big picture, it's the rookie class. And right now, the rookie class, I, I feel decent about it. I don't feel as good as I did a few weeks ago because Jalen Petrie's had some rough games and Kenyon Green had a really rough game. And they're just they're, they're, the way they're using Stingley. I keep I'm beating a dead horse, but I, I don't know what to think about Stingley. I have no idea. Like he they I feel like they could sign a 33 year old free agent to do the job they're asking Stingley to do out there. So I have no clue what to think about. And obviously Damian Pierce is one of the best running backs in football and he's a rookie. Um, I'm still optimistic about this rookie class, John, but they've, they've taken some, they've taken a, a few lumps in the last couple of weeks. Where's your feeling on the rookie class right now? I learned 45 years ago when I started covering the NFL, never to judge people until the first couple of years, yeah. they could start. I've seen too many players high picks. Mm -hmm. I remember Haywood Jeffries, first round pick, a wide receiver in '87, didn't do anything for two years. We were killing him on the talk shows, wasted pick. Then all of a sudden, the light went off and he became a perennial Pro Bowl wide receiver. So it could be them, could be the, could be the, uh, coaching. And an example last year, Roy Lopez, he wasn't great. But he was the first rookie to start, I believe. Mm -hmm. And Roy played pretty well, played on the nose in the four-man front. This year, he's not playing well. He gets subbed out. How much of it has to do with having a new coach? Dr. Cesar comes in here. Is it Cesar or Caesar? Jacques Caesar. Cesar. Cesar comes in here. And uh, maybe he's asking to do something he wasn't doing last year because he's not playing as well as he did. A lot of times we tend to overlook the position coaches, the coordinators, what they're calling, what they're asking them to do. And I don't know. And I haven't checked it out because I don't really care. But uh, I'm and I know Jalen Petrie at some point is not going to be missing open field tackles. Stingley will start to make plays when they give him a chance. All right, John, let's keep uh, keep going here. Andrew on the south side asks, what's the ceiling for Nico Collins? I think basically what he's saying, and I don't think for this season, just like in general, like when Nico Collins reaches his peak as an NFL player, what do you think that looks like? Is it Pro Bowl? Is it solid contributor? Is it where he is right now? What do you think about Nico? I think he'll be a solid contributor. You know, he opted out last year. He's in and out this year. He's in and out because of an injury. And uh, but I don't think he's a number one receiver. He's not a big play guy, but I think he's going to get better as long as he plays. And if they throw the ball, he caught his first touchdown pass Sunday. And I haven't seen anything not to like about Nico Collins. We uh, we had Nico on the postgame show, Clint Sterner and I did on Sunday after the loss to the Giants. And you, the opting out you're talking about is 2020, the COVID year. Uh, obviously, last year was his rookie year. Now he's in his second year. And I actually asked him that. I said, you you missed your whole 2020. You were kind of in and out last year. And, you you know, you're just back this week from an injury that you suffered this year. When when did you feel like you were finally back at full, like, football strength? You know, what's the 
what's the residual lag of a guy who took a whole year off from football because of COVID? He said by about like the the first month, like into his rookie year, he felt like, okay, I'm playing football. You know, I'm taking hits. You know, that that's a big thing with guys who haven't taken hits in a while. Is you, you know, you build up that you build up that callus to taking hits. So he it was one of those things. I think a lot of people assume like, well, Nico had a rough rookie year last year. He was okay. He caught 30 balls or whatever, but he's he had that one year off. So really, this is like his new rookie year. Um, he said a month in last year, he was he was, you know, ready to go again. But, you know, injuries are what eventually got him last year. And hopefully he can stay healthy. Yeah, I didn't I mean, I don't like seeing this soft tissue stuff two years in a row with him. You know, it's a big deal. If guys that continue to have those soft tissue injuries, you're never able to count on them. Yep. All right. Uh, let's see here. Let's go to let's stand in Baytown <laughs> says <laughs> What's the worst Rex Burkhead play that they've run this season? And they, he actually lists some candidates. Stan, but, there's one option pass. I don't care what your list uh, is. He didn't even it list that, that one. Option pass he's, when, he's, was his worst pass, worst play of Rex Burkhead's season. Which game was that? Was that Tennessee or was that it was one of the home games recently, right? It was it, it was Tennessee. a home game. I remember right where it was. He threw it out of bounds. I think he threw it out of bounds because it yeah. was covered. Yeah. And uh, it was a dumbass play. Yeah. Yeah. I, John, you're, it's going to bother me now. I got to find that. It was either the Eagle game or the. Uh, it was, it was either before the, the Eagles. Okay. So then it was probably the Titans, Titans game yeah. the week before. Yeah. Let's take a look. Stats, Texans. Yep. There it is. Rex Burkhead, 0 for 1, passer rating of 39.6, though. Which John. was higher than Davis Mills in the first half. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, all right. But yeah, it's funny. Okay. So you answered that. It's funny. The candidates that he listed the third and four handoff on Sunday this past week. That was a that was a beauty. Uh the third and one run late in the Colts game. Remember that one where they were trying to drive yeah. and go. You'll get a, a game-winning score, and they handed it I don't it to want him. to hear him. That's, that's depressing. Every target on third down, tied for third, he says. <laughs> hey, that's, he averaged 14 yards a catch, same as Damian Pierce on Sunday. Okay, yeah, okay. Their two <laughs> running backs averaged 14, and Dario Gumbawale averaged 12. Okay, well, they just should throw it to the running backs every they play. They should. Then. No, I hope uh, Pep Hamilton's not listening. Because <laughs> he'll do it. He's not afraid to do it. All right. Uh let's do a few more here, John. Let's do um let's do uh you want to you want an Astros question, John? Sure, please. Okay. Eugene and Little Rock. We got a Little Rock representation, John. We're multi-state. How do you like that? Big Suey. Yep, exactly. Um, hey guys, love the podcast and love that you mix in some Astros talk. It sounds like the Astros might like the Stearns guy from Milwaukee as their GM, but he's under contract for another year. My question is, could you see the Astros going with a GM by committee like the Texans did when they couldn't get Casario until Stearns becomes available? What do you think well, happens first, with this whole thing? Jeff, Jeff Passan of ESPN had a huge article today, John, about the Astros, The what he, he kind of categorizes as dysfunction behind the scenes. My guess is Crane would just call it controlled chaos behind the scenes, but there's a lot of speculation as to what they might do with the vacant GM spot. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, Stearns has one year left on his contract. If he wanted out, they'd let him out. There's talk that he would go to the Mets. And Stearns, I tell you, if you are a strong GM candidate, would you come down here and work for Jim Crane knowing that Crane is active and just fired a guy that won the World Series after he had been here three years and done a good job. 
And so, because uh, GMs like to have the power Jeff Luno had. And I think Stearns would be an outstanding candidate since he was here. He knows the organization. He was a Luno guy and did a good job in Milwaukee. Why they moved him out for a new guy, I don't know, but he's very highly thought of. And there are several candidates people are talking about. Richard Justice wrote a thing about all this uh, last Friday, way before Jeff Passon, about all these candidates for gallery sports about mm-hmm. Bagwell, Biggio, Stearns, Luno, rumors about Luno coming back. And uh, and now one of the things that uh, Passon said about Brad Osmus was down here, I always thought he might be a good bench coach if they lost Joe Spada, but they didn't lose Joe Spada. And don't know about, I just can't imagine a guy like Bagwell or Osmus would go from being like Bagwell's a confidant and an advisor to Crane, and he trusts his opinion to being a general manager. I, Jeff, Jeff should, if Jeff Bagwell wants to do something full time, I wish he'd do television because he is outstanding. Yeah, and uh, or radio. But uh, I'm going to guess he's going to bring in somebody that was here before. But I think some candidates just might not be interested, even though there's only 30 of those jobs. Yeah, I, the, that was a follow-up question that Eugene had, actually. What kind of GM do you think Bagwell would make? I'll, Jeff, Jeff Bagwell's my all-time favorite Astro. And remember, I've been following him since the first season. And he's really, really smart and analytical. I've heard players will talk to him about hitting and fielding and things that they're not doing that since he's around or they can get in touch with him at any time. And from a technical standpoint, respect, he'd be good. But they say that that uh, Crane wants a little more balance between analytics and old school. Well, the fact is uh, Jeff Luno built his team on analytics. Uh, James Click was big on analytics. I don't think you should mess up what has been more successful than any team in baseball over the last six years. All right, uh, last one, John. And I would imagine this won't be the last Thanksgiving question that we answer because we have one more mailbag before Thanksgiving next week. Um, But our friend Chris in the ATL, Chris in Atlanta, loyal listener to Utopia and loyal emailer. Again, mailbag at gmail.com if you want to email in. Since Turkey Day is right around the corner, the Texans remind me of that side dish that your one family member always brought for Thanksgiving that you couldn't stand. I'm assuming he means the food he couldn't stand, not the relative. Yeah. Um, that would have been canned cranberry sauce for me. Like the 2022 Texans, it's an afterthought and triggers my gag reflex. Uh, <laughs> Sean and John, what was your least favorite family side dish for Thanksgiving growing up? John, I feel like you've got a strong take on this, right? What's your least favorite, what's your most favorite and least favorite Thanksgiving foods? My most favorite is my wife's cooking. She cooks, and I'm not going to be eating it this year because I'm on a diet. Yeah. But um, she cooks for two of us. She cooks turkeys perfect. She has stuffing with gravy, which is my favorite. She has mashed potatoes with peas, green peas. She has uh, sweet potatoes. She has salad, and she has green bean casserole, which I love. Then she has two kinds of pies, pecan and pumpkin. And so that's one reason I'm so fat. So uh, the thing that I told her never bring close to her house is the same thing that uh, Chris said. I hate cranberry sauce. Yeah. I don't care who brings it, 
where it came from. I've never liked it. I don't like the way the red runs into the plate and gets on the other stuff. When you take it out and you put it, say, on a saucer and you set it down, it shakes. It looks kind of like a liver that's been taken out of somebody by the medical examiner and put on the table. John, do you know anybody? This this is how you know cranberry sauce sucks, okay? Is that it's never eaten on a single other day of the year other than Thanksgiving. Like if it were any good, people would find other days of the year to eat what is generally considered a seasonal food. Like pumpkin pie is a Thanksgiving food. But you'll find pumpkin pie at the occasional Christmas feast. And if there are people who eat pumpkin pie, if they're at House of Pies or whatever, because they want a little slice of pumpkin pie, um, stuffing. You know, there's various forms of stuffing. If you go to a Cajun restaurant, you get stuffing with shrimp in it and things like that. Like stuffing is something it gets deployed differently and cooked differently. Maybe it's not cooked inside a turkey or dressing or stuffing, whatever it is you want to call it. It's, you know, that's a regional thing. But um, but cranberry sauce gets used one day out of the year. That's it. And it's Thanksgiving. And I more people than not that I talk to think it stinks, that it's awful. Not smell stinks, but just that it's not good. It's terrible. Another, that's a great point. Another thing, like I, I love cafeterias because you have choices of so many different things. You don't see it in cafeterias, and they got fifty foods. There. Some of them are just loaded with food. So I know a few people that do like it. I know Ugh. people love cranberry juice. I wouldn't let that close to my lips. But uh, you're right. If it was good, it would be available more than once a year. Yeah. Amen. So, Chris, we, we don't have a lot of variety on that answer. It's just me and John agreeing with you about how horrific uh, cranberry sauce is and what a blight it is on a Thanksgiving plate. And I'm with you, John. It's hard for me to say, here's my favorite Thanksgiving food. To me, Thanksgiving is about constructing the perfect plate. Perfect amount of turkey, white meat, some dark meat mixed in there, a little bit of dressing going on. I like a little macaroni and cheese. Yes, there's a seven-year-old waiting to break out from inside of me. I like macaroni and cheese there. I like a little green bean casserole or something green to, to wash away some of the guilt. And John... I always go with at least two or three dinner rolls. Got to have and those. You can, like, you can get that on one plate. You yes. Plate. It's a big plate, John. a plate, and I have two saucers and a bowl for the green bean casserole, and it's all full. Well, John, God, that's I because my – This is driving me crazy. That's because my portions aren't as big as yours, John. If you would just have portion control, then you'd fit it on one plate. I have no control. <laughs> well, you will this year. I may come watch over you during Thanksgiving. Well, there's and no need. I'm, I've already told Carol I'm having turkey with mustard. I'm going to have green beans. And I'm going to have salad. Good. John, you're doing awesome. I'm happy for you. I'm proud of you, man. Good stuff. All right. I think that's it, John. We've got a few more in here, but let's. I'm, I'm going to save some of these for a future episode because I think we got in the main things that are current events that everybody wanted. A little sprinkle in a little Astros, a lot of lovey, some Davis Mills. And uh, we've established that cranberry sauce and Rex Burkhead touching the football are things that should never happen uh, ever, ever in the month of November. <laughs> All right. Uh, John, what do you got going on that you want to tell the people? About? I have a column on how bad Pep Hamilton, Davis Mills, and the offense is are on uh, gallerysports.com. I have observations coming for sportsradio610.com. And I'm going to write in my first Deshaun Watson column for Gallery Sports on Wednesday because 
He's back at practice officially as he prepares to lead the Browns against the Texans on December 4th. Oh, Mac. Mac gets his first taste of those Deshaun Watson clicks on gallerysports.com, John. He's going to be excited about that. <laughs> well, I don't think he can be any more excited than he is about yeah, exactly. $75 million. Yeah, what am I saying? Guys, guys on the internet pushing a wheelbarrow with bricks of cash in it. I'm $10 million he was pushing. Talking about 10,000 clicks on a Deshaun Watson article. All right, uh, John, good stuff as always. I enjoyed it. We'll do it again tomorrow and get people ready for the uh, Washington Commanders coming to town this weekend. Oh, boy, I can't wait. Whoa, Nelly. Exactly. Me too. <laughs> All right. We'll do a little for real or fugazi for the people as well. They like that segment. So we'll do that tomorrow as well. In the meantime, if you want to email this show and get your questions read on the mailbag episode each week, H-O-U mailbag at gmail.com big thanks to figgy fig for getting this podcast out to all of you we enjoy that uh we uh we love that figgy is part of this and he's doing a great job for us for the hall of famer john mcclain i am sean pendergast and we are out of time we appreciate you tuning in to the utopia football podcast tell a friend download give us a five-star review all that good stuff and we will see you tomorrow have a great day everybody